I've entitled this sermon, Hearing the Lord on His Terms. Hearing the Lord on His Terms. Now, Job has had to wait 37 chapters. He's had to wait through uh, various discussions and dialogues uh, between him and his friends. Uh, No one has, until we heard from Elihu, the youngest, uh, really come close to offering um, much of an answer to Job. Uh, And even Elihu... Uh, was was um, uh, was pointing the way only to God expectantly, and so tonight we hear from God uh, on His terms, according to His timing. Which, of course, uh, if you've been walking with God for any length of time, will know that His timing is perfect. And so, I want to ask us this evening: Have you heard God talking to you? Perhaps it's been through the ministry of a faithful preacher of the Bible uh, or a a teacher in Sunday school or youth group. Maybe it's been through the faithful witness and steady encouragement of someone close to you at some point on your journey through life. At the right moment, God spoke. He nudged you. He opened your eyes to see something you'd not seen before. To see your sin and your helplessness before him. To recognise God's great patience with you. Or perhaps his inordinate grace towards you in Christ Jesus. I hope and pray that each of these precious things has become part of the cornerstone of your life. That God, in his sovereign ordering of events in human history, in his ordering of your history and your life, that he has met with you and transformed you. This is the testimony of the Bible, the transforming power of God, particularly of Jesus, God incarnate, His transforming power is what the gospel shouts loudly to us. It urges each one of us to inquire into the identity of this man, this unique man, the God-man. Who is this man who speaks with such authority? Who heals those with incurable illnesses? Who forgives people their sins? Who raises the dead? And who, having endured an unspeakable injustice, the perfect man dying for the sins of those who were his enemies. Having gone to the grave, Jesus took up his life again and rose in victory over sin and death. Who is this man unlike any other? Jesus has conquered all the most grievous struggles of humankind. Not only that, but he has endured and suffered the greatest torture invented by humanity. He cried for us. He seeks the lost. He binds up the brokenhearted. This is our God. But he comes to us at the moment of his choosing. Often we spend countless years struggling and trying to mend ourselves, becoming increasingly frustrated every time we fail. 
We justify ourselves, seeing injustice as something done to us, rather than something that we have orchestrated or participated in. Our sight is limited indeed. We must learn patience. We must learn to trust in God alone and allow him to accomplish his agenda, his great plan to make all things new according to his timing. This is what Job has had to learn. Total dependence on and respect for God. And thereby a total freeing of self from our bonds to this life and all that gets in the way of God's way. Are you there yet? Have you reached that point of realisation yet? Let's read from Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it? and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come, and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning, or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges, and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? 
Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm? To water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it. To satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass. Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? And the waters become hard as stone when the surface of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cups? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? God has spoken at long last. What are we to make of it? As we open up uh, this chapter this evening, I've got three W's. Simon mentioned alliteration this morning, and uh, you'll have some more of it this evening. Firstly, the whirlwind. Secondly, the witnesses. And thirdly, our wonder. The whirlwind, the witnesses, and our wonder. The whirlwind. Well, God speaks out of the whirlwind. And that is so often the case, isn't it? That it's only in the depths of despair and the moments of complete, overwhelming uselessness, when we've used up all our resources, that, that God is the one who we turn to. And yes, he speaks. We give thanks to him for that reality. You know, back in the 90s, there was a band called Blur. And one of their most well-known songs is Park Life. In that song, it describes being rudely awoken by the dustman. The singer is a happy-go-lucky individual wanting to peacefully coast through life, enjoying the good times. And this certainly includes a good night's rest every night or to be rudely awakened by the dustman. But the reality is that we must be awakened. And the knock to our egos and pride when we discover how far we've strayed from God's design and plan can indeed feel very rude. It can be painful. But like the rest of the lyrics to Park Life, the, the constant merry-go-round of 
jogging to keep fit, coffee drinking and work is all pointless if there is no grounding, no recognition of what, of who makes us who we really are and who makes sense of our very existence. Storms are a fearsome reality to life on this planet. They remind us just how fragile our lives really are. For example, in the Balearic Islands, including the island of Mallorca in the Mediterranean Sea, places which are popular with holiday makers from the northern countries in Europe, as we seek out a warm place to sizzle in the sun and kick back and relax. These last weeks have seen Arctic conditions far worse than we've yet seen here this winter descend upon these Paradise Isles. Heavy snowfall leaving two feet deep of snow, 25-foot waves pounding the coast, virtually unheard of conditions, conditions you'll never see mentioned in a catalogue. Resorts known for their palm trees and golden sand transformed into bitterly cold winterscapes, more characteristic of Scandinavia than the Paradise Isles we're used to. What is happening? Well, the world certainly thinks it has an explanation. Climate change resulting in extreme weather events. Yet the world panics in its godless view of an out-of-control climate that depends entirely on whatever changes we as humans are able to bring about. Friend, the Lord our God is in ultimate and complete control of the universe, of this planet, and of each of our lives. All that we do is observed and ordained by God. I'll say that again. All we do is both observed and ordained by God in order to bring him glory. Either because we are worshipping him as we should be, an act of grace by itself, or because he's exposing the emptiness and futility of lives being wasted in pursuit of vanity and self-determination. And because of this human vanity and delusion, whereby we attempt to chase after sinful indulgences of every flavour, God speaks powerfully to bring us to a halt. The storms hit and pull us up. They expend all our resources and call us to search out the only source that can help. We if indeed we have come to our senses, turn to God. It's a miraculous process, authored completely by God. By the sovereign grace of God, some of us turn around and take God's outstretched hand. And so God answers Job out of the whirlwind. That great and mighty storm that Elihu spoke of at length. The sovereign ordinance of the entire weather system on the planet. 
which yields to his will and plan through every season and accomplishes the nourishment and sustenance of life itself, wherever it is found. Friends, God speaks in our most desperate moments of need. When every human resource has been expended, when our friends have either deserted us or have nothing left to offer, then God speaks to our very souls, asking us, where were we when God laid the foundation of the earth? Verse 4. Who was it who shut the sea with doors? Verse 8. Have we commanded the mornings since our days began? Verse 12. Have we understood the workings of the unseen realm? Where it is that we go to when this life is over? Verse 17. Friends, God alone has this knowledge. The Lord alone possesses the wisdom to design and create the marvels all around us. So what will Job's response be? How will he answer God? What about us? What will be our response? Do we dare to give God the credit he is due for rescuing us from the storms of life? It is no coincidence that the New Testament writers recount the crucial story of Jesus calming the storm in the boat. Jesus, as God himself, has the power to direct the wind and the waves. And crucially, he does so in order that those in the boats would continue learning from him and thereby reach their destination. If God's plan was to harm us, to shipwreck us, we would surely know. And so will Job reach his destination? Will we? Perhaps we have need of a storm or two in life if they prove our faith in God. Job's faith in God is not in question, but it is being proven. It is being put on display for him and for everyone else to see in order that we might be witnesses, in order that Job's testimony might be born. This is my next point, the witnesses. Friends, we are witnesses of God's creative power and we are responsible for how we act and respond to the ordinances that God has revealed. Job has spent several cycles now of speeches putting forward his case his challenge to God, demanding vindication and deliverance for the great suffering he has endured. In his frustration and his pain, Job has demanded a hearing with God, that an inquiry be made uh, into all that has taken place. So it's only right that God is permitted time to cross-examine Job and each and every witness in this life. 
It's not just Job under the microscope here, friends. Each and every one of us is being cross-examined by God. And so have we got our perspective correctly aligned? Are we finished articles yet? Or is there more that we can learn? What exactly have we been witnesses to? God is scrutinising Job. Have you seen all that has gone on? Have we seen all that God has done? Have we understood his plans for us, for humankind and for creation as a whole? What exactly have we seen? What have we understood? Most crucially, have we heard and received the gospel? At most, we've seen eight or nine decades Less than a century of experience compared to God's unfathomable knowledge. The countless generations of human beings who have come and gone on every continent and throughout numerous eras of technological development and cultural expression. Whatever our heritage, our language or our background, the levellers The great levellers are the realisation of the brokenness we have contributed to and the inevitability of death, which sooner or later comes to us all. What will we do then? How can we navigate the waters that we have no knowledge of? This first chapter and the one that follows of God's answer is simply designed to take our breath away with the wonder of creation on display. It extends the invitation for us to appreciate the role that God plays as creator and sustainer of all things. How extensive is his reach and his involvement in all that we see? Eventually, Job will be asked for his response. But for now, this barrage of rhetorical questions take Job's and hopefully our breath away as we appreciate the extent of God's hand in life. Yet although these are questions, they provide the answers if indeed we are looking for answers. For these awe-inspiring and fearful aspects of life in this world are intended by God to bring an end to our constant warfare and hostility. Verse 23. God holds all of these options, all of these weapons, in order to shock us, in order to grab our attention, in order to remind us that we are not the authors of our salvation. We are not self-sufficient. God will bring an end to all warfare and hostility. After all, our hostility towards one another is only the result of our hostility towards God and a refusal to acknowledge his divine right to lordship over our lives. The truth is, as human beings in our 
sinful nature, we want any king but the rightful king, the one who made all things for his eternal glory. No. True maturity comes when we realise our great limitations. The limitations of our understanding. And some measure of the dependence that we have upon the Lord. That is true understanding. And our lives, when judged rightly, have been a tale of what happens when we recognise God as Lord of our lives. And when we attempt to assert our autonomy. It's been a, a two-fold tale. We attempt to assert our, our autonomy and then God redeems us and puts on display his greatness as a redeemer. Autonomy. Something most highly prized by our culture today. Self-determination. We are who we decide we are. Our feelings, our emotions are the impulses which dictate our identity, our direction and our aspirations. But where will such thoughts and desires lead? Will we be wise enough to weather the storms of life? Will our desires secure our crossing to the promised land? When our lives are put under the scrutiny of God's cross-examination, will our witness be credible? Will it be vindicated and proven true? It will if it points to Christ, friends. Finally, wonder. This first portion of God's response to Job, which continues for four chapters, is fascinating. One evening in it does not do it justice. It opens up our minds to more fully appreciate the extent of the Lord's hand in creation. His agency and his power, which is on display through the incomprehensible majesty of the architecture of the universe. As Paul recognised in First Romans, what could be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, we, are without excuse. Romans 1, 19-20 Any other assessment of the world around us which excludes God is deficient. Catastrophically so. And this is why the created order experiences ongoing groanings and disorder. As Paul writes in Romans 8, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first, first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Friends, 
our brother Job is groaning inwardly and outwardly as he awaits the full redemption of his body. And so the purpose of agony, suffering and storms in this life is to bring us to God as children depending on their Father, our Heavenly Father. And so are we now waiting eagerly for God's completion of his work in this age and in us? Having identified our great many limitations and constraints, which are part of God's grace towards us, improving our need for him. Having realised the wonder of God's much greater designs and plans, his higher and more awesome plans for humankind and for each one of us, are we now waiting for our adoption as sons and daughters of the Most High, humbled and willing to hand over full and complete control to him? This is what it means to be ready to cross over, to make our final journey into the unknown, to reach a point where, as Eleanor herself said, we are ready to reach out and take God's cloak, being sure of what we cannot see and trusting fully and completely in our Creator and our Redeemer, because he is everything to us. Our God is a God who considers the forgotten and most desolate places. Verse 27. And the wise among us are those who by the grace of God come to realise that without him we are desolate and parched. Last week we were encouraged to marvel at the aurora borealis the northern lights which became visible uh, all the way down here in the south of England. I don't know if any of you saw, saw it. We also saw the planets Venus and Jupiter in close proximity to the moon. What significance do these cosmic wonders have apart from drawing us to marvel at the creator who made them? If all of this is one great accident, we have no redeemer, no rescuer, either from the natural disasters that come upon us or from the dark, empty expanse of the realm of the dead. But if our eyes are opened in awe at the majesty and wonder of creation, we will come to recognise the presence of the architect and of the conductor of the symphony of life, which exists to the praise of his glorious grace, from age to age the same. May he, in his great providence, grant us wisdom in our inner parts. Verse 36. <coughs> Excuse me. May he grant us understanding uh, to our minds, both to put it to work as his witnesses and to exercise faith in the storms of life. Not only does God satisfy the appetite of the lions, verse 39, 
but he also satisfies us in our inmost being when we reach a point of fully trusting him and the finished work of his son. These things all completed as promised according to his terms and in his timing. The thrilling thing for us is that as his redeemed people, he has given us a role in the great drama of life. But we must never forget, he is the conductor.